0: Welcome to Docs in Orbit, where we feature conversations with independent creative documentary filmmakers from around the world. This is Cristina Zacharias. In this episode, we feature a conversation with Nuria Jimenez in Barcelona. She is the director of My Mexican Bretzel. The film, My Mexican Bretzel is Nuria's first feature film and is made entirely out of her grandfather's home footage. 16 millimeter film from the 1950s and 60s is juxtaposed with excerpts from a diary to reveal the inner thoughts of Vivian Barrett, the beautiful wife of Leon. The entire film is a personal reflection, where love, longing, desire, beliefs, and death are all explored. We see their beautiful house and are privy to their beautiful holiday travels around Europe and the world, skiing in the winter and sailing in the summer. A seemingly aspirational lifestyle contrasted with her everyday concerns and observations that allow us, the viewers, a more nuanced and intimate reading of the images. For instance, early on we're introduced to their home, a big house in Switzerland with a beautiful back garden with flowers in bloom paired with a diary entry from the day Vivian learned that she was unable to conceive, despite her imagining a life in this house full of children, and are reminded that not everything is as it seems. It is an excellent film, and one of those rare times that as soon as it ended, I went back and started watching it again from the beginning. And out of pure admiration, I contacted the filmmaker to invite her to speak about her process. So without further ado, Here's the conversation.
1: Hey, hello. Hi, how are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? Good. It's good to see you.
0: Good to see you too. Finally meet you after some back and forth exchanges on email.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: (laughs) First, I... I want to congratulate you on your work. Um, I feel this is a piece that um, I felt like a really beautiful discovery. Thank you very much. So before we get into the film, I wanted to talk a little bit about yourself and how you came to filmmaking. So just a, a, a brief bio um, which is hard to come by. You're a little bit of an enigma. It was hard to even find you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, because I'm 43 years old and I've just made my first feature film. So <laughs> uh, until now, I didn't really uh, participate a lot in this filmmaking world, and, and not even now, because it's also a small film, independent film. So, uh, but that's also something I like about it in the sense that I feel really free and I felt very free doing it. So I wouldn't change that for anything else. Uh, In fact, I've always enjoyed a lot telling stories, but I was more into writing than into images. But then suddenly I started to watch uh, documentary films that were really something very different from the things I, I had seen until then. And I started to become really interested in the image as a way of expressing yourself. And not that much with words, which was more like my comfort zone, but with the whole visual language. And so I did some courses uh, in Barcelona, and then I decided to go to London to study documentary filmmaking. And then I, I came back to Barcelona because I had to work. <laughs> and um, the thing is, it took me seven years to finish this film, because at the same time I was editing it, I was working full time in other things, you know, as a freelancer, like translating things or writing, or doing whatever corporate videos, whatever I could. So that made that the process took a long time. Yeah, so uh,
0: you were, in what field were you before? You were a freelance writer before?
1: I've done many different jobs, a lot of jobs, uh, very different uh, from each other. But I studied journalism and international relationships. So at the beginning, uh, when I was young, I wanted to be uh, like a news correspondent, and I tried in Berlin and also in Paris, but I wasn't really good at it. So uh, I started to look other areas and tried many different things and at the end this is really something I I enjoy a lot and I'm passionate about but it's the first time I found something like that so it took me a long time
0: (laughs) yeah no I mean I can absolutely relate to that and this idea of having had many you know many occupations before and experimenting with different industries or different fields and then finding filmmaking um I think is a path many filmmakers have, and I think that there's a lot of wisdom that when you you know after many having many experiences with life that you can bring into the process um absolutely hmm. so and this idea of you experimenting with different you know, with writing and with being a journalist and with, you know, just dabbling into different career paths is also part of you as an artist as well, because I can see that you're doing that even in your filmmaking, you know, you're experimenting
1: in in a way. Exactly. Yeah, it's like trying, experimenting and discarding things or just deciding to, you know, like put them in the in the film. So it's the same process at the end.
0: And thank you for sharing with me your earlier work, your first short film, Nio. For people that might not have seen it, it's about, it's an observational film. It's very different from your feature. But what I saw in these um in these two films, both Cafe and My Mexican Bretzel, in terms of themes, that you're exploring superstition, it kind of comes up in a way, uh, in both films. Um there's also this dealing with small dramas of everyday life with humor that is also in both of these films and then also your use of music and your use of sound as a way to imprint yourself as a filmmaker in both of these films whether you're dealing with a completely observational situation or you're dealing with archives in both of them you physically are hidden but in your film you're Pres- you're you're making your presence known to us as a viewer in some way, and so I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about how these, as an artist, attract you. How these themes attract you, and how you play with them.
1: Yes, uh, regarding the filmmaking, for me, uh, this is one of the things both uh, the short film and uh, and the feature film have in common. In the sense that in my Mexican Red Cell, there are some thoughts about the filming or the filmmaking, about how Leon films constantly. And Vivian says some things about uh, what filmmaking means for him and for her, too. And also related to what you said, for me, humor is uh, the best weapon, <laughs> let's say, to to cope with tragedy in life. I mean, of course, there are situations in which you don't want to, you don't feel like laughing. I'm not talking about that. But the sense of humor in in a bigger sense, you know, like um, there's some wisdom for me in, in humor, mm. in the good humor. Mm. And um, I am trying to to look for this kind of humor, which is not easy. And, it has happened to me in, in bad moments that there's something, a very funny situation and we all have laughed because it's like absurd. But that that's also the beauty of, of life. Huh? Right, exactly. It's good to have the, the humor. And superstition for me is also um, like the unknown and um, the, the, the dark, Dark part, but when I say dark, it's in a very wonderful, beautiful way. I, I don't see darkness as something uh, groomy or bad. I see it as something that has his beauty because of this mystery of the unknown. But for me, we all look for things that makes us feel safe and they are all lies <laughs> the only certainty is death that's it the rest is this kind of looking for safety so it could be god or you know religion or love or whatever or, or superstition yeah yeah
0: and yeah and, and and i felt that sensitivity to let's say anybody else goes into the same coffee shop, orders a coffee just like you did, and decides to make a film about it. They probably wouldn't have pointed at the same things that you did. And and that's that's what I thought was really interesting and I see as a signature of yours. You know, I see these elements of, of superstition and this also this use of music which I I really enjoyed as well of imposing your filmmaking hand on on the seek on a sequence and so can you talk a little bit about this as well
1: yeah absolutely just first let me just say that for me i'm very grateful to the short film and to the theater film because they have helped me to be aware of these things because you don't think when you are filming or editing you don't think about these things like i want to express this or that you just make the film and afterwards someone like you Very interestingly, it says, well, you have in both things, and they are completely different things, you have these points in common. And then what I said, it's like a mirror, no? The the film for for the person who watches it and for the person who makes it. And for me, this mirror gives you always a fascinating image. It can be also a bad one (laughs) sometimes, but it's interesting. You learn a lot, or at least I've learned a lot Uh, also about myself. About the sound, I think in some films I feel that, for example, music is um, overused uh, and sometimes it mm, goes straight to make you feel something very concrete. It directs you very much to to a concrete emotion, a specific emotion, and I don't like that at all. I prefer to feel uh, a bit more free or open in that sense. And uh, with the sound in my Mexican bretzel, we had a lot of fun uh, together with the sound editor, who is Jonathan Dark and who for me has made a wonderful job. And he's the main creator of of the sounds. But the, um, the good thing about the film reels having no sound is that you can just play with them. And what I wanted also is to keep a large part of the film in silence. Because I think we are all the time uh, with noises and sounds everywhere around nowadays. You know, wherever you go, there is sound and noise. (laughs) And I enjoy a lot uh, watching, just moving images. And that was for me also a kind of going back to the origin of cinema, which was moving images and just watch them. And also I think that the silence helps that the moments of sound are really powerful. That's another thing. Because if you put all the time sound, it loses a lot the the strength. And I think that the film needs this part of silence.
0: Absolutely. It it has a a soundscape of a memory. And so you absolutely created that sensorial experience through the absence of sound, but then also the moments when you do introduce it. But there's also a choice in not including a voiceover and leaving us to imagine the the sound of the person, you know, who is writing these entries. So, yeah, could you talk a little bit about the decision? Did you consider voiceover at all? or
1: Yeah, from the beginning, I also decided very quickly I didn't want Voiceover, uh, but I didn't know exactly why, so it was not a rational decision, but somehow I felt it didn't fit. That's why at some point I tried the voiceover and I tried it and I discarded it immediately. Because for me, there are two things, two, two main reasons. One of them is I didn't want to give all that additional information about Vivian Barrett, I wanted the audience to put the voice in their heads. You don't know if she's talking uh, with a sad tone of voice or if she's angry, if she's happy, if she's ironic, but you can just decide whatever you want. And then the other thing is a diary is for being read. You never listen to a diary. A diary is uh, almost like an intimate monologue of the person. So most of the people don't, you know, like read aloud their personal diaries. And I wanted to be somehow faithful to this idea of diary. And uh, I wanted that the person who was watching the film could feel that they were reading, really, the words of, of Vivian Barrett. And for me, it's very interesting, the idea of diary, because on one hand, uh, it's this intimacy. It's very, very intimate. But on the other hand, if you don't know anything else, and you just take a personal diary of anyone, and it's a very weird feeling of you're, you're just knowing the most intimate of that person, but nothing else.
0: Yeah, and it's an interesting, too, because sometimes when you're taking or you're reading somebody's personal diaries, sometimes it almost feels intrusive or voyeuristic and, like, a little uncomfortable as a viewer, like... like but in this situation, in, in your film, I never felt this, oh, I shouldn't be... I felt very invited into the experience. And I think because in the images too the images are very inviting like you see the you see vivian kind of you know like looking back at us or like they're showing us a tour you know like they they want us to see and and her observations maybe it was the experience of having to read them i almost felt this idea of a woman that felt a bit unfree and her diaries were her way of being free
1: Uh, I really appreciate that because that was the intention and exactly this contention. She she doesn't really feel uh, expressing herself to the world. She does it writing her personal diary who only she's going to read. And there was also something um, a a bit also female, male, this kind of female thing, Uh, more insight, more content. And then the, the man, Leon, that the camera is much more phallic no somehow and he is also mad about vehicles and about speed and filming and he wants to show that to everyone and you can feel that in in, in both of them and there's something also related to to this female male thing especially in the 50s and 60s i, I was just going to say that
0: too i think that's uh not just a male-female dynamic, but it's also a specific time and place of when that. Because I see the same patterns in the film in the footage of my grand of my grandparents too. Um, I want to pivot to another question though that I had: the the marriage between the image and the diary entries. I, I'd like to talk a little bit about this because you said you had like 39 hours, or I can't remember 29. Yeah. You have 29 hours of footage. How did the relationship of writing to the image happen? Tell me a little bit about your process in finding these
1: ways of pairing. The, the process was for me really very interesting, especially the second part of it. Because at the beginning, I started watching the images over and over and over again. And I was choosing the images. I, I felt more beautiful. I liked better. And on the other hand, I was writing all different ideas, all kinds of different ideas that came into my mind. I didn't know if I was gonna use them or not, but I just was writing for five years, everything that came into my mind. And what started to be interesting, of course, is when I started to put uh, the image together with the writing. Because, of course, there were lots of different options. At the beginning, it was really difficult or chaotic. Uh, But that was exactly this experimenting thing. And then I started with the image. I started putting together the images and editing the images. And then I was putting the words uh, in the images. And then the story was more developed and it became a bit more important too. So that brought me to look for new images that could fit this writing or these ideas. And for me, there's, above everything, there's a ludic thing about filmmaking. And in this sense, um, with the editing, and also in this case with the sound creation. And if, if there's not a sense of play, I wouldn't do it because it's really funny. I mean, I I had a great time making the film, you know, and playing around and just trying different things. A lot of things, uh, I had to leave them out. And this is something very important I've learned in in this project. And it's also thanks to mainly the co-editor also who helped me a lot, uh, Cristobal Fernandez, and uh, also to Andrés Duque, who is a filmmaker I admire very much. And so they both helped me a lot to, to understand. It's the same uh, with what I've said about sound, but with words and images. If you put a lot, uh, then it loses the power. So at the end, it was really like uh, playing again with the, these two elements and try to find a connection. But Sometimes it was really amazing that when you find something that really clicked, you say, wow, it's, uh, I, I enjoyed a lot the, the whole process.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting because the humor of it is so subtle that it's almost it's almost accident. It feels accidental as a viewer. Like for instance, the idea that the lover's name, the secret lover's name is so similar to her husband's name. I mean, these are the types of coincidences that if you had so too many of them, then I would start to question and not enjoy it as much. But because it was so sprinkled,
1: I, I, it was just like a- <laughs> That's, well, thank you very much. But for example, this thing about Leo and Leon, I didn't pretend uh, to be credible, okay? So, because that was the, this freedom, I enjoyed that much, that I could make up everything. So I just started to write things that were completely non-credible at all, like What are the chances that Leo and Leon (laughs) had almost the same name? So when you are not trying to be credible, I think you are much more credible. If I had tried to make the story very truthful, it wouldn't have worked, I'm sure, because I wasn't looking for that. And then I was really surprised because the first people who watched it asked me, who was Vivian Barrett? And I looked in Google for Karyapali, but I couldn't find anything. And I was like, oh, my God, people are really <laughs> believing. Because Karyapali, for me, was <laughs> it was wonderful to, you know, create this character. And, yeah, that, that's it. I think uh, there's, there's this desire to believe. And for me, this is also one of the topics of the film. So we are looking for, you know, gurus or Lovadin, a magic pill, or love or a lover, and we also, uh, there's also a desire to believe in the film, in the truth of the images, and in the truth of the story, and we also want to believe in cinema somehow, you know, so for me this is also uh, related.
0: Yeah, so I was going to ask, I think the whole topic of the use of fiction in a documentary is a a really big one. Uh, You do make it very clear in the very beginning that you are not to be trusted. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that you are not to be trusted, but that you, th- th- this isn't about credibility. And in the very beginning, you, the, the very first line is, lies are just another way of telling the truth. Um, so I don't know how to talk about this without giving it away, but let's just go here for a second because I watched it twice. I watched it in the first time the way it was without me knowing anything at all. And I watched it again, knowing the, the, that this was the the film, basically, that the f- film was playing with me with, in this way. And I had the completely same experience. So I don't know. I, I don't know if we're ruining anything for viewers, if they know
1: or whether they don't know. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know either. Yeah. And uh, you're right completely. For me, if it works... not talking about the film, eh, but about everything we were talking about, like Lobedin or like Aguru or whatever. If it works for me, it's fine. I mean, uh, at the end, for me, there's also this this thing about diaries and filmmaking uh, that exactly you're framing an image, for example, so you're already choosing a part of reality and you're just showing that part. And when you uh, write a diary, you are also choosing the the parts you want to tell, but you're not explaining the rest of it. So for me, this decontextualization is really interesting because that's already a lie. So when does the lie start? If I had tried to explain the real life of my grandparents, I would also lie. So as I, I said the other day, if I have to lie, Let's lie properly, you know? (laughs) And also for me, I I told you, uh, my mother, when when she watched the film, and that were uh, her parents, she told me that you've made a more real portrait of them than if you have told the truth of their lives. And for me, that was amazing, because this is from watching the images so many times, that at the end, of course, at the beginning, you watch only the foreground. Then you start to see things in the background that are interesting. But then you start seeing things like subtle gestures or body language or a look, and they were 29 hours. So I've watched them, I don't know, hundreds of times. And then you really see a lot more than you saw at the beginning and it changes a lot the whole perception of uh, the relationship for example of between them and also how she related to with the world so I thought that was also really interesting
0: yeah I want to go to actually the I'd love to go to the discovery of the footage can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you when you first came upon this trove of
1: 16 millimeter film? Most of them were 16 millimeter, sorry. And some of them were eight millimeter, but most of them 16. So when my grandfather died, uh, he was Swiss Um, in 2010, we we found like 50 film reels in his basement. And so we took them to, back to Barcelona because they were in Switzerland and then uh, I started to digitize them and I already decided that I wanted to do something with them when I saw them physically in Switzerland. <laughs> I, I was like it doesn't matter if they are in a really bad state I'm also gonna do something with them because I love you know this fascination of Uh, old images, archive material, everything. But when I saw what was in it, even more, you know. So, yeah, that was it. And I also asked my mother if she felt comfortable with it, of course, because otherwise I wouldn't have done it. Right. Was this way of
0: layering the footage with these kind of, you know, um, fictional elements, was that a way for you to create distance? for yourself as an artist with the material too? Because I know from personal experience, finding personal archives, um, this is the challenge that many filmmakers face, is how do you find the distance with the personal?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, um, I was also sure from the beginning that I didn't want to talk about the personal lives of my grandparents. For me, that was a decision that was very clear from the beginning. And this also uh, gave me uh, this distance that you say. Somehow, even if that sounds maybe contradictory, I felt very comfortable using the images that uh, my grandfather filmed and where my grandmother was appearing all the time. But I didn't feel that comfortable at all, uh, talking about their personal lives. Also, what I thought was uh, that the process would be much funnier and uh, I would have much more freedom if I could just make everything up. And of course, at the end, you always put things about yourself and about your family. There's always something there no? in whatever you, you make. yeah. yeah.
0: I want to just go back to the question about fiction and documentaries because um, this there's this question of the border and the limits of fiction in documentary is very interesting to me. The tradition of documentary is very different in America than it is in Europe. In America, it belongs to the school of journalism, and I don't know whether or not this is necessarily true today in the world of documentary, but from in terms of its, like, you know, how most mainstream people understand documentary and consume documentary in the U.S., there's this, you know, aspect of what you see is based on something, you know, true and, um, and it's very dangerous to start inserting fiction into documentary almost. In Europe, the tradition of documentary comes from very much more, uh, belongs in, in the in the art space, and and there we do see, as I've studied in, in, in the European Film School, we do see that there's lots of creative ways of playing with documentary footage, and this isn't the very first time that we're seeing a film. You know, I mean, San soleil is a example of this as well, and um, and there's many that continue to question the um, this put this question on an image. Um, in a very fictional way, so um, but how, like in terms of your point of view, how do you feel about genre? Does it even matter to you?
1: Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't feel really very. What would I say? I don't think it's really important uh, if it's documentary or fiction. I don't care at all if people want to say it's a documentary film or a fiction film. For me, it's clearly a fiction film. And I don't like the, the word, uh, the term false or fake documentary, or false documentary. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Because this for me has like a sort of connotation, you want to fool the viewer or the, the audience. And I don't want to fool the audience at all. It's, for me, it's like a game. I invite you to participate in, and you're part of the game too, and me too. So it just let's play. For me, that's it. Yeah, I think for me, the what you said, the documentary, maybe in the U.S. traditionally, has been more related to journalism and to uh, telling information, no facts or um, showing realities. But maybe in Europe, there's more. Uh, about uh, expressing something so it's more related as you said with art than with facts or information and i feel more comfortable in this in this second uh, way
0: <laughs> and on that note too so the motivation was really like an artistic motivate you've said this somewhere i read i read somewhere maybe it was in or actually it might have been in your carte blanche
1: Cariapalli's words
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah, were they Cariapalli's words Um, remind me what it is because I didn't write it down but it's this idea of like where does where creation comes from this urge of do you remember what
1: it was that you said Uh, there was three things Uh, hunger desperate hunger uh, this uh, idea of playing of playing a game and also uh, there was something else related to I need... Oh, yeah. Hold on, I'm going to watch
0: it. We're going to get it right. We're going to get it right. Ah, all artistic creation is driven by a desire to play a search for relief and a desperate hunger. So, a desire to play a search for relief and a desperate hunger. Relief,
1: that's like you, you search for the relief of um, taking out something that it's like a kind of burden inside of you, more or less. So what you look for is for this relief that never arrives (laughs) but it arrives for a little bit but then no and the the playfulness and the hunger no it's for me these three elements are are there the the best thing about making this film for me has been the freedom and this playfulness if i lose both things then there's no that's the the main reason I make the film so the
0: desire to play the search for relief and the hunger all
1: disappear exactly (laughs) because exactly you you if you are not enjoying making the film for me and then what's the sense of making it and for me this film had already given me a lot before I it was shown in a festival (laughs) so Everything that comes after that, I'm really grateful and it's wonderful. But uh, I hope I can make more films from this point of view or from this place. Great, that's terrific.
0: Thank you for um, thank you for your time and for your film
1: again. No, thanks a lot. So yeah. For me, it's a pleasure, really. Yeah. I really appreciate. It.
0: My Mexican Bretzel is part of this year's edition of the Essay Film Festival, which opens March 25th and runs until the 3rd of April. The film will be available to screen on their online screening room for free to anyone in the UK. Visit SAfilmfestival.com for more information. Thanks for listening. If you like what you just heard, please be sure to subscribe to get future episodes and rate and review so that more documentary film lovers can find us. Docs in Orbit is an independent, volunteer-run initiative. Please visit docsinorbit.com for details on how to donate.